I, um, well, I'd like to honor uh, the pastors here, Mark and Nancy, and the leadership. I'm um, very privileged to walk in many times on the work that's been going on for a long time. And so I don't take that lightly. And I thank you for um, serving and sticking in and having that vision and following the Lord. Thank you. I honor you. And I honor my friend Janet, who's here with me today. She's uh, met her in Fairbanks, and she is in Anchorage, and she brought me up here. But I want to say a special honor about her, is she has supported me in many times in little ways that really made a big difference. And um, so I honor her. And I honor each one of you and your testimonies before the King of Kings. And those of you that are hanging in there and those of you that are flourishing and that have made it through many things and you're here today, I honor each one of you. Thank you for um, inviting me. I could have been in Thailand right now. And I want to tell you that I, have, I, I, have, uh, I got an invite on my way up through the inside passage. And, and I didn't do it because I wanted to be here. And I know that sounds funny. You know, they see the T-shirts that say Rome, Paris, Wasilla. And, and I thought, no, I've got to be there. This is my time to come. And I'm making a big round robin here. And so I don't take that lightly either. So I honor the Lord in that, in, in that he's got a purpose and a plan far beyond what we get clues about. So I thank him for that. I'm going to tell you my story. And by the way, I did get reinvited to Thailand after I said no. Then this reinvite came about a week later. Well, you can come in the winter. I'm like, oh, yes. But I didn't know that when I said no. I just obeyed. I am, uh, I'm from Alaska. I've lived 30, 35 years in Fairbanks. Right now I'm in Tennessee, um, spending time with my mother and hanging out with people that are polite. <laughs> They're polite. They're all polite. You just got to see it, the Bible Belt. And I'm hanging out with these people. I'm very much musical. And uh, so I took um, a bunch of invitations, and I'm on a, a circuit ride right here. I started in Seattle, Vancouver, uh, with the people at the Chinese Seminary and Musqueam Tribe people, and, and then on up through the Inside Passage, some of those villages on the on the inside with a guide friend of mine named Clarence, who's um, Shimshian from Canada, and then went into the Yukon, one of my favorite places in the middle of the Yukon, and they just started a house of prayer, a prayer house. They didn't have a church, hadn't had a church for a long time there, and then came into Fairbanks, and um, when I was getting ready to come up, uh, Thomas and I were talking, and he asked if I wanted to come to Wasilla. He thought it would be a good idea, so that's how that all worked. But I want to tell you my story just a little bit. I was raised by a military father um, who's now gone, but he was a, a mission-minded man. He was a bomb navigator, and he flew in Korea, and he flew in Vietnam. And so I honor all the vets here just for, for risking your lives that way and putting up with all that. So my father was always on missions. Often, and then he took our family on missions. That's the best thing I can say about him. We were up trekking in the mountains with backpacks, and we were doing all this. And what I didn't know is later when I would be saved at the age of 21, the Lord would put all that into practice. And right now, I am just the circuit-riding missionary. And I, but, I, but I served for 30 years raising six children in Fairbanks where I didn't go very many places, so I've waited. 
and went through a lot of different things. My parents were recovering Catholics, my father especially from that, and he told me, watch out for, for uh, those people. And he told me one time that God was for weak people that can't stand on their own two feet. So he had a little bit of bitterness against the church. So I learned to stand on my own two feet, trying to, trying to do that. When I, my mother, she was uh, very sweet, not negative about it, but no relationship with the Lord. She since has one. My father since got one. And I, um, I became a Christian when I was 21, and I had been raised a humanist. Man is the source, the means, and the end. And humanism now has gone into transhumanism, which is the AI connection with humanism. Never, ever thought when I was raised as a humanist that it would go into the machine part of things and then this whole um, antichrist system that, that is going to come up on that platform. Whoa, what a mind blower in the last year we've had with all the AI information. And you can see how it all fit. But we didn't know that they would go from apes to cyborgs, we didn't. We, we forgot about that last step they were going to throw in there, past the man into the machine man, and away from the creation that we are in in God. So I got on my knees one day. I'd heard several people give their testimony to me about Jesus, and I thought, well, that's for you, not for me. I've got a different path, and I was into all religions, checking them out. Everyone, I would turn over the stone, and I looked. Thank goodness my father had taught me to have a logical mind and to, to analyze and to research because every one of them was like, well, that's this and that, but there's got to be more. There's got to be more. But I didn't find the Lord. He found me. Amen. And in a time when I had kind of made a mess of things at 21, um, I got on my knees and I said, Jesus, if you're real, change my life. And I had never been to church when I was a little kid, they went in a few things, I don't remember it. But, but something changed on that floor, and a peace came over me that passes all understanding. And I just stopped crying, and I stood up, and I didn't say I'm saved, hallelujah. I didn't even really get into church for another year. But I knew that something was different, and I knew that Jesus was real. I couldn't even tell you my sins were forgiven. I didn't say the sinner's prayer. I didn't say, forgive me for my sins. I trust you as my Savior. I didn't say any of that. I just said, Jesus, if you're real, change my life. And he, you know, he hears our heart cry. So that's my testimony of salvation. He, he set my feet upon a rock, lifted me up out of the miry clay. Only he can do that. And set my feet upon a rock and establish my goings. So the miry clay is a pit, and there's no way out. The rain, everything, there's no way out. The rain, the mud, they probably throw food down there. You have to do everything down there. Sleep, eat, go to the bathroom. It's a terrible place. Yeah. Jeremiah knew about that. Well, that's where I was. There was no way that I could even figure out what to do. And he reached in and lifted me up. And those of you that have experienced that, you know that. Those of you that haven't, I, I suggest that you ask the Lord to give you that if you don't have a testimony that's like... I know I was saved. Being raised in church is great. And, um, but there's a time when we're born again. And the Lord will show you. And so it took me that. About a year later, I realized getting into a Baptist church, oh, that's what happened. I got born again. That's, that's what happened. And I, knew, I instantly knew that time. But it took a year to figure that out and get into the Word. So I studied 17 years with Baptist, and then the Lord filled me up with water 
because they're always in the scripture, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I had never done that. Bring my Bible to church and take notes and flipping back and forth. I was learning. And then the Lord changed the water into wine. And he took what he put inside of me and took me into non-denominational native work in Fairbanks, Golden Heart uh, Ministry. And uh, if you haven't hung out with First Nations people that are very spiritual, you need to go find some because yeah. they're, they're, they're an absent. And all the rules changed. And so that was um, what happened to me. I went to a, a Beth Moore study in my Baptist church. I, I said I had six kids. I have six kids. One of them was three, the baby. And I went to a Beth Moore study, and we had to sit around and talk about how, uh, what our goals were. And I said, I want to be a missionary one day, but I've got a long ways to go because my kids are just little. Two weeks later, I was up in Old Crow, Yukon Territory, on stage before 2,000 people singing, and everything started. You see, it's not our way, but his way. And the Lord has been very considerate of me not wanting to abandon my post as a mother. I homeschooled my children. I put them in private schools. I taught in private schools. I was the in-the-trench mom and, and a little bit afraid of the world, so I was really in there trying to, you know, make it work. And we do operate on fear sometimes. I've since learned that I made some mistakes in that, even trying to do the right things. That's a tidbit for somebody in here today. But what happened to me was I, I realized that... Um, God had a plan for me, and he was considerate of my family. He would take me out for three or four days at a time for music. People liked my voice, and I'd get invited out. And then the Lord popped the cotton out of my ears, and I could hear him in my heart. Not that audible voice, but I could hear him. And I would go places, and not only did I do music, but then I would deliver some kind of message, or there'd be some transaction that would happen in some little elderly woman's cabin in the middle of the, of the, the wilderness, and the Lord would say, go find this woman. And what happened oftentimes is I would show up at a village after the third time I started waiting for it. The Lord would bring a child. It was always a child would come out there to meet me with a four-wheeler, or they'd be just hanging out, the little obscure, obscure child. And this, this child would come up and, and say, you should go see my auntie Susie. She lives here. And so I started to realize it was a pattern. So then I would wait for them, and these children would come up and kind of give me a word of where to go, and that's how I wound up. So it was a very interesting training time, and I learned mostly how to listen to the Lord. I learned that I was on his time, and I learned that he was going to do the work if I would just show up. So I was just kind of joining him in what he was doing and coming. And, and then he would tell me in my heart, you know, go do this, go pray in that river. Go anoint that river with oil, and nobody sees what you're doing. Go over here and stand. Go on that mountain. I want, I'll tell you what to do when you get there. We're going to pray. And these different types of prophetic acts that you guys probably know about. And, uh, and so I would do this and not knowing really what was happening. Fast-forwarding. I've always been involved in worship and singing. But fast-forwarding, uh, I was married, and uh, my ex-husband now, in about 2006, started to super-run everything off the road. We had a million-and-a-half-dollar business, and my kids, were some of them were launching into college, and, and he just, I couldn't, I just couldn't stop it. And I tried... I tried being kind, I tried screaming, I tried every kind of approach you could, you could try to stop this, you know. Um, and it, it just, over the course of a year or two, just kept uh, running off the road. So he uh, went to overseas and 
calls me up and wants a divorce, and, and then when he comes back, he sues me for this divorce. And uh, it wasn't what I wanted. It was really bad timing. But what happened is my, this is my testimony for you today. My, my life started to crumble up. The kids were getting all confused, turned against, you know, one parent trying to, to turn the other. And financially, um, he was trying to make me homeless. Uh, controlling the finances, spent a bunch of money. There was all kinds of things. And everything started to disintegrate. I never asked the Lord why. Because I had already learned to trust him. Ask him why. You're in charge, Lord. I had a, a million dollar property that was down payment, papers signed before he left, and he called the day they were ca- cutting the check and canceled this property I'd worked for for 30 years to get. And, and then I wound up in an apartment in town with my kids all sharing two bedrooms trying to make it happen. God could have stopped that. From happening, He could have made him not be able to call from a foreign country and get through to the bank. He could have done a lot of things, but he didn't stop it. But there was a better plan for me. Because in that, all that, what happened to me is I learned how to forgive in real time. And then what happened is I learned how to take the prophetic gifting that the Lord had given me and merge it with the message of forgiveness. And now it's just dangerous to anybody who gets in my path. And I said, I said, okay, fine. If I'm going to have nothing or I'm going to sleep in my car or whatever's going to happen, I'm taking hostages. I'm taking hostages, and I'm taking hundreds of thousands of hostages. And, and, and now here I am on the platform of moving around, and that's starting to happen in the last year especially. The circuit rider, that, that's me. He told me you'd be like a circuit rider. So I get to pop in on some really cool places. And I'm happy to say... Here, before I get into to what I want to tell you about how I learned to forgive, because you might be thinking, I'm pretty forgiving, like, maybe like me, and, and, and I think I'll tell you some things that I was missing, and maybe you're missing some of those. So it's a very specific message. So I think that um, what's really cool about this church is that I could have been in all the places in Wasilla, right? The Lord... Wherever I wind up speaking becomes like an outpost where I can, you know, hitch my horse occasionally or not even just about me. It's just that he has determined, he has chosen this place, this place, this place. And you think, well, there's only a few of us or this and that. That's all like an illusion because the Lord doesn't drop me in, I mean, I know Thomas referred me, but the Lord doesn't drop me into any place, but what, he doesn't know exactly what he's doing and what he wants to do there, the vision. And so as we were praying in the worship, I saw um, like a, well, kind of like a, a square that you do construction with, but it was made out of wood. It went down and then it went to the right. And as I was looking at it, it cracked right where it intersected in the bottom and as it, was, as it cracked, this side just sort of leaned like this, starting to lean. And things started to roll off of it, which I'm imagining is probably how you guys have felt recently. Or that, that wait, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to hang on here, and, and it's turned enough to where you're just, things are just kind of rolling off. Not rolling off, but rolling. And there's a foundational thing where that intersects that the Lord is going to heal and wants to, to put that back. So during the worship, I saw that. I saw his hand just push it up straight and then shore it in at the foundation where it intersected there. And, uh, and then it just kept 
going on. It didn't stop. It was outreaching. And uh, I saw a hand of five fingers, you know, which I partake of uh, the fivefold ministry. But this hand of five fingers at the end of this. So hang on because uh, God's got a plan for you. And he, 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 he'll fix it. So um, let me tell you about forgiveness. Um, the forgiveness that I teach is not lateral forgiveness. That's, that's amazing, and you want to do that. But the forgiveness that the Lord wants me to testify on is this forgiveness. Yeah. It's actually repentance of our sin. Now, when Jesus said, is it easier to say be healed or have your sins forgiven? You remember that scripture? It's interchangeable. So is it easier for you to repent of your response to somebody in your life or some things? Or is it easier to forgive them? Forgive them or repent of your bitterness towards them. Forgive them or repent of the fear it put in you. Person abandoned me. They rejected me. Forgive them or repent of the rejection that I've taken on. And so it's, it's the same, and we, we know this. But I was at a training. Um, one of your best resources here is Wellspring Ministries in Anchorage. Get there. There's an MP3 online. Buy it and, and do the Biblical Foundations of Freedom and the How to Minister. Best resources. When I took their training, I was so happy. I thought, oh, this is duplicatable. Because the things I was doing weren't necessarily, some people I talked to didn't even understand what I was saying. And it was very private, and so many things happened. Nobody was there but Jesus and the Father and me. And, but this was duplicatable. So Wellspring Ministries, I really suggest you tap in. You're right there. If I was here, I'd be going over there and getting their information. So I went to this meeting, and this guy was talking about bitterness. And I thought, well, that's really good. Now, I'm in the middle of a divorce. And um, all I knew is Holy Spirit told me to go up there. Go up there. And, you know, they had this line of a couple technicians to help. And this man says, can I help you? I said, well, I think I'm doing pretty good. I've forgiven, and I'm pretty forgiving, and I've been forgiven, that's for sure. I mean, I had this excitement about forgiveness. He said, what's going on in your life right now? I said, oh, I'm going through a divorce. He said, how's that going? I said, my husband hates me. What I didn't know I was saying is, I haven't forgiven my husband for hating me yet. When people give you their confession, they're telling you they haven't forgiven it yet. And he said, well, can we forgive him for that? I was thinking, maybe when it's over and all his stuff, you know, I know I need to forgive. I'll work through it later. It's just way too much. And the Lord just one thing at a time. Can we forgive him for hating you? And I thought, what was I supposed to say? No. I said, "Uh, okay. And uh, so I prayed. Just forgave him for that one thing, my confession matched with the Lord's healing power, and he took something from me, and I felt it. And I thought, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Um, I minister. I'm, I do worship. I, I serve. I'm pretty good here. I don't do a lot of really bad stuff. And I started to realize, okay, I want to do this with everything. So I dove into it. Now here I am five years later. What this is like is this scripture... For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Very foundational. God didn't just love us, but he did something. He gave. God so loved us, he gave 
He gave Jesus before. He forgave Jesus. Jesus is forgiveness. God gave Jesus before we deserved it, before we, we knew what we needed, before we could do anything to fix it. He gave him before. And this is the cross. So when we forgive, we choose to forgive, we are lining up with the cross of Jesus, his work, and also the blood of Jesus. The Bible says to present yourself as a living sacrifice. And the truth is we have no rights. We have two rights, real rights. We have the right to forgive and be forgiven in this planet. That's it. The rest is all like perks and benefits and possibilities and promises and hope and all these things, but our rights, where I have the right. I have, I have rights here. <laughs> I have the right to forgive, and I have the right to be forgiven. It says in Ephesians, you know, to be kind and tender-hearted towards another, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you, just as we have been forgiven. So I started to, to teach that, that um, if we're not actively choosing to forgive, I don't care what we're doing, we're not walking in the cross in the right alignment. So how it works is this. Is forgiveness a feeling? No, feelings have come. Is forgiveness um, an act of our will? No, it's really not. It's not, it's not letting go. Jesus didn't say, well, just let it go and move on. Oh, just think of something else. Well, just be a positive train. Well, just don't talk about them. You know, we can be in the same church together for 10 years and not be in God's standard because of something that we have with somebody. I don't particularly like the way Mark does this or he did, he's ignored me uh, when I want to do this and I'm not mad at him, but there's a little thing there that just, little thing that didn't like. Is, is not God's standard. God's, God's standard is to get rid of all that. But then the question becomes how. So I've told you we all, we all need to forgive. Talk, and you guys probably know somebody you need to forgive, or several, or even yourself. There's a big one, and I'll get into that in a second here. So what happens is, in this forgiveness, it is a choice of obedience. And I like to use the illustration of the sacrifice. The worship songs were really chosen well today, and some of that stuff just jumped out at me. The sacrifice, up in smoke, I call this. You remember Cheech and Chong, up in smoke? Well, this is the better up in smoke, the Leviticus. And what happened in, um, in Leviticus, there's many sacrifices, but there's one that went on every day. They would line the animal up at the tent at night, and, and, and when they came in the morning, the embers would still be burning. They would sacrifice and put that one on, and the fires never went out. Well, this is symbolic of Jesus, never goes out. But you know what? It's also symbolic of our meeting up with him daily. And what I realized was I had forgotten the daily forgiveness. So people would do things, and I would be like, mm. and they just charge, charge, all these charges on my account. And uh, you're looking at somebody that has no charges. And if I have any, they're little things that I've forgotten. And sometimes I even pray those. I have done the work to specifically choose to forgive all these people. So in these sacrifices, when they made them, the Lord, the Bible says many times in Leviticus, it's a beautiful book. He said that the Lord, um, it pleased the Lord. The smell pleased the Lord. We sang about incense today. The smell pleased the Lord, and the smell pleased the Lord, and the smell pleased the Lord. And I'm telling you, the Lord likes the barbecue smell of our sin. 
And it's not just the big things. It's, ah, I'm mad at my husband. He always leaves his clothes on the floor. There he is doing it again. I forgive him for always leaving his clothes on the floor. I repent of all bitterness towards him, Lord. Thank you for forgiving me in this, and I forgive myself. Done. And I said I was going to talk about taking every thought captive here. That's how we do it in, in real time. So back to the sacrifices. When we choose to forgive, it's in obedience. If you have a child and you call them and they come and they don't really feel like it, did they still obey? It's, it's a miraculous forgiveness. So when we obey and we say, Lord, I'm, I'm choosing to forgive. I'm going to speak these words. I'm confessing my sin. I have unforgiveness. I own it. I forgive them, and I'm confessing my sin. He literally burns that up. And the Bible says he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you. How long does that take? If you confess your sins right now, if I confess sin, how long does it take for God to forgive me? Pretty sure there's no other way. The one where he says, now go make it right with your brother, those are secondary behaviors. But this one is the cross. This is what we got when we were born again, and we get that same instantaneous power. What I'm seeing now is, is exorcisms. It comes from the word revive. I'm seeing people get delivered of spiritual oppressions. I'm seeing mental illness go away. I'm seeing altered personalities and extra traumatic personalities that took on an identity called an inner child where some spiritual being lives. I've seen those people get rid of that and be integrated and made whole in front of my eyes through this kind of power of forgiveness. The Lord is compassionate and in the business of, of wanting you to be whole. And what I found out is I wasn't. So if it's a transaction Forgiveness is a transaction. You go to the bank, you put money in, you take money out, you got your ticket. Not a lot of feelings in that. And I was very hung up on the fact that I had to mean it and I had to... What I need to mean, brother, is, Lord, I love you enough and I trust you enough to step into this place with you and I'm going to confess that I have fear, anger, bitterness, and jealousy, whatever it is, and I'm going to forgive those people for all those things because I trust you. And what happens is the Lord takes your sin. How did I miss this? I don't know. But it's like missing the forest for the trees. The sacrifices never go out. Jesus said to forgive 70 times 7. That's 490 times in a day. It's like every four minutes if you do the math when you're awake. And it's like, what does that mean? So if I have to find it myself, trust me, I'm, I'm A, not going to want to do it. I could have told you I'd rather have seen my ex-husband. I had visions of him getting hit by a train or anything to stop this pain. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. But I did. And so um, if it's up to me, it's only going to be halfway. And if I find it in my heart, it's going to take me a lot of energy just to, just to forgive one person and go make it right. But this I can do every minute of every day. And I'm going to do a prayer with you today um, so you can kind of see. But what happens in taking every thought captive? We have to start being very aware of sin. I think we're just um, a little lulled to sleep at times. Sin is fear. Lord, I'm afraid you won't provide for me. Lord, I'm afraid this might not work out. I'm Those are all sins. So you say, Lord, I repent of the fear of you not providing for me, and I command that fear to leave me now in Jesus' name. 
Done deal. Tiller comes back. You know, but what, you get better and better at this. Um, pain is a sin. I'm in pain. I'm in emotional pain. So therefore, then all addictions would be from that bondage. Um, rejection. I used to think that if I had a little self-pity, a little bit was okay, because, you know, I wasn't hurting anybody else. I wasn't taking it out on somebody else. And then I found that, found that self-pity comes under pride. See, I have the right to minister to myself. And what happens to Holy Spirit? He is our all in all and all our provision. So ministering to myself is a sin. Oh, it really was rough. It's really hard. You really went through it. See what I'm saying? So all this is handled when we take um, the legal rights away through forgiveness. Forgiveness is your greatest legal tool for destroying Satan's legal right to afflict you. Now, we blame a lot of things on Satan, and he's really not much of a contender. Unless it's a Job situation and God just says, have at it, you know, he's not a contender. If we will get in line with this crucifixion thing. Another thing is people keep saying the persecution's coming, you know, and people are being persecuted. I have friends in China where they're taking the crosses down now, and it's getting real uncomfortable for some of the churches. China's coming out with their own Bible to try to combat the Bible still coming in, and I'm pretty sure it says something like, Jesus was a good citizen. And they'll rewrite it. But what happens is when you align yourself and you become that living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, there's no way to do it in our flesh. In Galatians it says, you start a good work by the Spirit and finish it in the flesh. We keep trying to forgive, do forgiveness as a work of the flesh. I will, I will try, I will try to forgive him. Forget that. You can destroy Satan's legal rights by forgiving. And we stop blaming things on Satan because he only has the right to afflict us, usually where there's sin. And when I talk to people and I pray with people, I see these commonalities, and they're all the same. It's the human condition of family, generational things, unrepentant sin, unforgiveness, pain, trauma, abuse, neglect, rejection. And rejection seems to always find its way to the top. So what happens is we choose to uh, own our thoughts. So I'm sitting in church, and I see my sister get up, and, and I have this little thought of jealousy. Well, she, she's more spiritual than I am. She's just uh, something about her. You know, she just goes on too long, right? I just had that thought. I just sinned. And we need to get more aware. Ask Holy Spirit to help you get more aware of your thoughts. You'll see it. And you're like, oh, that's that. Okay, I forgive my sister here for, for going on too long. And, and I don't try to change how I feel. I'm just going to confess it. I forgive her. I repent of all bitterness towards her. I repent of jealousy, Lord. Thank you for forgiving me now. And I forgive myself for that thought. And it, it just falls to the ground, obliterated, never to rise up and follow you around. So I found out that basically a lot of us are going around with a backpack full, trying to function. And God gave us the ability to function well. Um, when people are traumatized when they're children, sometimes they'll dissociate from the trauma. It's a God-given ability to escape, even while you're there in your body, this terrible thing that's happening. But after they come through the trauma, they're supposed to integrate 
and that and heal, and, and a lot of people don't. And I meet a lot of people with childhood traumas, some little, some big, and, and they have this thing, and they're compensating, and they're doing pretty well, even saved, even born again, but they're not free. And this is where the Lord wants us to heal us. So when you have an incident, say there's something that's happened, my divorce, okay, and uh, all this financial loss. When I forgive, Lord, I forgive my ex-husband for all that loss and for hurting the family and all these things that happen. I choose to forgive him. I repent of bitterness towards him, and I receive your forgiveness. What happens is this blanket new document is over that situation. And when the enemy enemies come along, well, everything has to fly the coop. But when the enemy comes along later and kind of looks at that, he's like, blood of Jesus. I hate that. I hate that. That's it. It's game over. It's just, it's a done deal. And so it is the blood of Jesus applied again and again and again. We don't get saved over and over again, but it's that saving power. And I'm pretty convinced that there's an actual resurrection transaction that happens every time the Lord takes a sin from us. It's like this mini, you know, where just something happens, you don't know what it is, but it's so miraculous, and then it's gone. Then what happens is, he says, I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Remember, if you confess your sin, confession got hijacked by the Catholic Church a long time ago, and we confess, but not to the level we should, we should be confessing. It says to one another, but we can also confess to him. We should be confessing daily. Whoa, I just... Uh, said a cuss word about that person that pulled over and pulled out in front of me at the on the road. I forgive them for pulling out in front of me, Lord. And it's just that fast. And what happens, you get better at pretty soon you don't even really think like that anymore. But he says, confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive you. Really, like it's gone. And then cleanse you. If he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, then we're able to step into his righteousness. And so really, I thought this was all about forgiveness, and then I learned it was all about the confession. Now I've learned just last week, it's all about righteousness. How can we put on the right? We have the righteousness of Christ because we're we're redeemed, we're saved, when we're born again, we're his own child. We have that, but then we taint it up and dirty it and walk with a bunch of other things. And I think he just watches, and I sure wish they'd ask me, I sure wish they'd ask me. I want to just clean them up and take this off of them. And we walk around not knowing what the problem really is. My prayers don't get answered. I want to pray for people to be healed, and they're not being healed. Oh, what, you know, when is this? You're going to come down and just fix all this, Lord? Like, like it says in, in uh, Joel that, that the Lord will come, and, and uh, men will dream dreams and visions, and this is all going to fix it all. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that this is how he fixes it. It's the same way as it was with the cross. It's the same transaction. So we've learned that Satan can't be blamed for stuff anymore. We've learned that forgiveness isn't a feeling or an act even of our own. It's only an obedience I choose to forgive because I trust you. And boy, you get under his wing and he's going he's gonna to deliver this amazing forgiveness. So I have seen, um, I'll tell you about an elder in Canada we were at a, a woman's house praying, three of us women going down to the States, and this elder 
came in and he said, I want prayer. I said, who do you need to forgive? And he knew right away. So I led him into prayer. He's like 92 years old. And he goes, oh, it's like a snake was wrapped around my arm. It just broke off, you know, and he runs out the door. Well, I thought First Nations, you know, different visual. Okay, cool, right? He comes back with his fiddle about 10 minutes later. And he said, I had a stroke five years ago. I haven't been able to use my, my hand. And I have pictures of me playing guitar and him playing fiddle. You don't know what's connected to the unforgiveness and the charges of pain and bitterness and, and resentment and abuse and the rejection, the abandonment that's, that's connected to your life even still. Why God doesn't just erase it all when we're saved, I'm not quite sure, but he gives us that new fresh start and then we have access and then we kind of fumble around you know, using it. Where it's like we're using his benefits like this much. We could be going to Thailand with him and we're, we're like hanging out in Fairbanks. <laughs> it's, that's what it's like. And so I realized this is, is equal access. Equal access to the blood of the cross because it's his atonement, his work, his sacrifice. We simply step in and obey. So we've learned that forgiveness is an obedience. And I tell people, if you'll make a list, start your earliest memories, get along with the Holy Spirit and write a list. This is how you know you need to forgive. If, if the check engine light, this is the check engine light. If you have a negative emotion attached to any memory, that's your check engine light. So when I went to school after I did this first forgiveness, I thought, whoa, that's a lot. So I went back. And if you've already forgiven, you'll know it. If you haven't, if it's not, nothing happened, you'll know it. But Holy Spirit will guide you through and you make a list of all these negative emotions. And those, that's what you go back and you just hit. And it's just like bullets that take this stuff out. And if you did that work, let's say you sat down this week and did this work with the Lord on all these things to date that you can think of. What happens is you wake up the next morning fresh to the fight because you're free. I don't, I don't have any. I mean, I took off my sin because it's our response to the sin that's the problem. Remember I said it's not lateral forgiveness, it's not what they do? It's not between you and them? This is about the offense that you took on. This is about the pain that it's caused you. This is about how it altered your, you know, your, your structure and you walk, the, you walk your life like this. This is about those things. This is about unforgiveness that you have to own, is how you responded. There's a book out called The Bait of Satan. It's a good one. And he... I tell people offenses are like $100 bills. Only people that know better won't pick them up. It's like, that's 100 bucks. I've learned that. I'm not doing it. So if somebody does something and you genuinely don't pick up that offense, you don't have to forgive. But 99% of the time, we pick it up in some way. Even watching TV, I get offended. And I have to, sometimes I'm like, Lord, I forgive Nancy Pelosi in Jesus' name. And I repent of all bitterness towards her. I'm watching somebody do and I, I can't watch this anymore. But I have to, I can pick up a secondary offense. Somebody gets murdered. Somebody tells me their story. And I'm like, who did that? A pastor did that. Your dad did that. And I can pick that up. So I have to forgive even secondary offenses. And we know, we know when we do. So we want to make those new documents of forgiveness uh, over a situation don't have to make it right. Don't have to go to that person unless the Lord tells you to or call them up or write them a letter. That's good. But this is between you and him. I responded like this. 
I have unbelief, and I have anger, and I have handled my relationships in life in this certain way because of that, and I forgive them. I forgave my father for his, his comments about, about God. I forgave my father for the times when he was busy and I felt rejected. He had a short temper. I forgave him for that because that set me up in life to have these very strange feelings around other people when they got mad. Or, and I suffered from this rejection that he never wanted me to have. But when I forgave him, then all of a sudden the patterns started to change. So if you will do this work and then you get up in the morning and you're fresh to the fight, then you're meeting everything that comes your way that day. Oh, no, I'm not going to go for that one. Or, hey, I just had this thought again about that person that did this. Well, Lord, if I haven't forgiven him, I forgive him right now. And the reason we do it out loud, Jesus didn't say, it doesn't say, um, says with the heart, man believes. But with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. The, the most, I think the most incredible way, in my opinion, that we model God is our speech power to speak. He spoke the world into existence. We know, you're taught here, speak the words that we say. So there's something about confessing and partnering with him in that confession that he wants to hear. Say it out loud. Cell phones are great because you can hold it up to your ear if you're out in public and you don't want to look schizophrenic. And you can pray right there. Lord, in Jesus' name, I forgive this. I've done it a hundred times. And nobody had, nobody's on the phone. It's just, I, I love cell phones for this reason. And so you can, you can pray anywhere, anytime, and you just you take care of that. The, um, the power of the spoken word, you guys have heard of water memory. There's a video. It's, it's not Christian, but it's a scientist, um, Emu, somebody, um, Japanese man that did water memory, and he took water from different places and froze it and then put it under a slide and they were pretty or ugly or whatever they were. And then he got the bright idea to put music in front of them. These containers of water and the heavy metal was all discombobulated and the classical music was beautiful snowflake-like crystals. And he thought, whoa, you need to go look at this. And then he started speaking into the water. I hate you. I want to kill you. And it came out like terrible. And then I love you. And then he flash froze it. You didn't go check it out. Our bodies are like 70% water. So not only are we confessing and lining up with the Lord, but we're confessing over our, our bodies too, over our setting, setting us free from curses as we, as we come in contact. So people have, um, people have said, well, this lady's a healer. She's this, and they have all these different ways of saying it. But <laughs> I tell them, no, I'm... This is, I'm a person that, that got set free through forgiveness. And all I do when I lead people in sessions and in prayer is I'm taking them through confession. So God is restoring the confession the way that really it should be. And if you make this standard for your church and everyone has gone through this and they're free from all their stuff, then they don't have all these little behaviors popping up, you know, and agreeing to disagree no, that's not, it's not scripture. I mean, we have to do that. We have to survive it. It's, I've forgiven you. I forgive you. I've forgiven you. I've had people tell me, no, you can't forgive me. I said, too late. It's already done. No, you can't. I'm not going to let you. <laughs> so what happens then is um, you're on the gold standard. And I'll talk about that for a minute. The gold standard, the Lord down in the States recently 
put on my heart talk about the gold standard. And I'm like, well, I better go research that. <laughs> I was like, what is that? I kind of have an idea. So I had some great research moments, but the bottom line is this. We're on a fiat system worldwide. We know about the gold standard. I mean, you used to be able to take a dollar into the bank and get a dollar's worth of gold. And it was backed by something. And uh, the fiat system that we have all paper is only worth the confidence that we put into it. So it's like everybody's has confidence because that's what we're operating on. And, and I, I challenge you that in Christianity, from what I've seen, and I'm in a lot of places, we have a common denominator in the problem here. And that is that we're putting confidence in some of the wrong things too much. We have a lot of great things going on, but this one seems to be just not even understood in many places. I call it the gold standard. In the economy of the kingdom, we can operate on pennies, dimes, nickels, and dollars and do pretty good. Good works, love one another, um, you know, ministries, music, worship. But the gold standard is the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus is forgiveness. It flowed. It flowed. God forgave Jesus to the world. He gave it before. It is the very, very first and very most primary behavior and attribute of the cross and the sacrifice. So when we line up with that and we're on the gold standard, these other things can still operate, but they're not the most important thing. And I, I tell people if we will repent, look at your check engine light, negative emotion attached to any memory. Check engine lights on, and we drive around for a while thinking, the car's still running. Yeah. Car's still running until there's a breakdown. And we're like, what happened? Long, long ago. And I meet the breakdowns. But even the little things that you have as I'm talking to you are as important as the person who had to forgive a murderer. So don't take that lightly. These little charges that you have against you because you did it to yourself. Because you're carrying sin and not realizing, oh, that's sin. And I'm going to repent of it right now and get that off of me. So you do this work. You get on the gold standard. And let me show you what it would look like. If all of you guys had sat down and we did this work, it doesn't take that long, and you're like, man, I'm, I, can, I can feel the difference. And now I'm fresh for the fight. I got warriors all of a sudden just transformed. No junk where Satan can pull the rug out from under you, point the finger. You know, why does this always happen to me? We're swatting flies as we're ministering. You know, darn thing. You know, how come I, I go good and then I fall back? And these, a lot of it is this unconfessed sin. So what happens is, let's say everybody in here had done that and you're a, a model group. Then so-and-so comes, a family comes from somewhere, and they say, hey, I want to serve. Anybody can come, but I want to serve. And you say, okay, we have this gold standard that we follow here, and we go through this process to make sure there's no things on our hearts before we come here. We forgive pastors. We forgive churches. We forgive all those things that happen in life. And, and we have somebody here, Miss Nancy, that, that will take you through that process, or, or this lady or this man, and, then, and they're going to help you, and that's what we do here. And people are like, well, okay. Like me, they go, okay. And then all of a sudden, they, they get free. And they're like, well, things are going better. I'm not mad at my husband all the time. I'm not yelling at the kids. I don't have this short fuse. Or I just feel better. You know, my stomach aches are gone. I mean, it can be anything. Then what happens is they like it. 
and they get set free. And then they can serve with you without gossip, doubt, fear, backbiting. And here's something rejection does. If you have a minister or leader who is not healed from rejection, they will get into a position in the church in some kind of leadership, and then they will hold on to it and fight with all their might in a polite way because we're Christians, because they're not going to get moved because it's their identity. They have an identity in, in even a position for the Lord. It's their identity rather than having their identity in Christ because they're not set free from rejection. And I see this over and over and over. And that's where you'll get all the base for your um, group problems. So everybody's equal. Everybody's the same. Everybody's forgiven and forgiving. It doesn't mean you can't confront. It doesn't mean I can't say, brother, you got to stop doing that. That hurt my feelings. Um, I, you know, let's talk right now. And, and no, I'm not going to put up with that. It doesn't mean you can't go to court over something. And if you have a court case going on, it doesn't mean that. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you're taking it. You're taking all the responsibility and, and, and you just lose. I'm going to become weak. I guess i got to forgive. No, you get to forgive. And the blood of Jesus just burns that stuff up. There is no greater privilege than to be able to forgive. So what happens is your people come in. It keeps your, your pastors from having to work overtime, counseling you and the same thing and the same thing. I've had pastors tell me, oh, thank you for saying that, because some of them will avoid people in the congregation because it just gets to be too much. It's like, oh, they just, here they go again. It's so-and-so on the phone again. Nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. Because they're shepherds. But if you will manage yourself before the Lord in this manner, their load is lightened. And when our loads get lightened, we run faster. We reach more people. Our finances go in better directions. Our numbers grow. And this is the antidote for a great awakening. It is an antidote for what we call a revival and an exorcism of God's own people. Exorcism comes from the root word to revive. It's not just something on TV. And confession is the way that we get there, not just like something that we've seen on on Catholic uh, TV shows. We need to take back the confession. (laughs) So um, there's another thing I'm going to give you here and just share this word. You know, I heard somebody teach, and they said, uh, when we get saved, when we get born again, we're a child, and then we turn into a daughter or a son, and then we grow, and then we're like a friend, and then we're the bride. Is that a good way to describe it, sort of? It's like a, a, a transition, and uh, there's going to be people at the, at the wedding, from what I understand, that uh, they are children, but they're not that bride. The Bible does talk about the bride makes, makes herself ready. And so I want to use this analogy of a bride. If that were us and those of us that have chosen, Lord, I, I, I give you my life. The Lord's not looking for a bride who's busy and distracted with a lot of other heart things. He's looking for one that, that wants him and solely that is that, uh, is that, that uh, sonship, that kingship with him that wants that. Okay? We already know this. But I ask people... Um, What's the last thing that a bride puts on for the wedding in our culture? It's the veil. And so I had this vision one time. I was running up to New Hampshire in a car, and I just had this vision of carrying this white veil. I was like, what's that? And um, when you 
put this veil on in your Christian walk, you're already, the dress is on or the outfit is on, it's clean and white. It's like the submission, the total surrender. We talked about surrender today. The total surrender. I'm covered, but I'm covered in his suffering. And we're waiting for that persecution to happen, and the suffering starts right now. I have no rights, Lord. I have the right to forgive and be forgiven. Forgive me. I have no rights. And you're covered. We listen to Stephen and we listen to Jesus. Forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. So the Lord is preparing a people that that finally put on this veil after all being dressed up to get ready for the doors open and and the march down the aisle towards this great wedding. And that first step is unity. That first step out where the bride is covered. She is ready to handle anything that comes. Success, power, healing, miracles, persecution, murder, imprisonment. She's ready. We're ready for all of those things, and we're not quite ready. So I'm pretty sure it's, there's a move of the Lord to really get us to a position where we're unoffendable. See, you can hurt me, but I'm unoffendable. I've been deep in this now for five years, and I can tell you that I've gotten too smart to pick any of those, those things. I'm absolutely unoffendable, and I've had some horrific things happen that were very, very painful. And like I said, by the time I do my forgiveness and I'm around the rest of the block, I'm taking hostages because I've cleared the zone. I've cleared my, my, my case. I've cleared my record on that incident. I forgive them for this, Lord. And all I have to do is say it. Amazing, isn't it, the power that we have? I want to sing you a song, and then I want to pray with you. I think I've covered everything that I can. If you will accept this challenge um, and put your people on the gold standard. I was up in Fort Yukon just recently, and a woman was delivered of like a murderous spirit, young woman. She said, I got so scared one time, another me came out. So we had her give the other, forgive and give the other me to Jesus, and the other me went away because it wasn't another her. And the Lord says we're going to set the captives free, open the prison, give sight to the blind, heal the sick. And these are the kind of things that, that will happen. I've seen five Mental illness deliverances on this trip starting in Vancouver. Five where people spoke in other voices and had alter personalities, and I had no idea that that was going to be God's theme on this trip. He just like, watch this, watch this. So the Lord is right there when you're confessing, moved with compassion. And when, when you have people call you and they're complaining, lead them through confession. You can do it like today. You're like, no, I don't... I haven't done this. I don't know what to do. So-and-so calls on the phone, blah, blah, blah. Can we forgive your boss for that right now? Just pray with me. Just try this with me. And then you lead him through this prayer. Instead of listening to this stuff and then resisting the temptation to minister to them, how about Holy Spirit ministers to them? Isn't that what we want? So if we would just come get them to the table, his presence is there. You guys already know how to hear from Holy Spirit. If you don't, Ask him. Confess your sin and, and, and 
cast out a spirit of unbelief and he will start speaking to you. So you're being led in an ever so gentle way while you're leading them in confession. And what happens is you can do that right now. He is ministering and all you're doing, I call myself a physician's assistant. Like a good nurse in the room, this is how it's going to go. We're going to do this right now and I'm going to have you do this. I'd like you to say this. And he is doing the healing and the delivery. That's why I call myself the Liberty Practitioner. So you can look at thelibertypractitioner.com. And that is, um, practitioner is one who studies a discipline. So I am disciplined in the art and the study of liberty, getting free. And that's what the Lord gave me. I prayed for three months. And a year or so ago, that's what he gave me. So thelibertypractitioner.com. There's testimonies and music on there. And, um, and I want to get to the prayer because I don't want to take up any time and not allow the Lord to finish it. I hope what I've said has made sense. Yeah. The gold standard. Let's get on it, you guys. Backed by eternity. Backed by power. And then people just like it here. I got free there, and and I'm actually able to minister to others right away and help people right now, and all of a sudden it just spreads through the fields. The fields are white to harvest, right? When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and blood Flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown? Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my King. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to His blood. Lord, we do sacrifice our will and our rights to receive and to gain your right. To complete forgiveness, Lord, complete freedom. As you, as I've been speaking, there's somebody you need to forgive. Just one person. It might be yourself. If you have shame and regret, you have self-bitterness. There's no two ways about it. If you have shame and regret, you have self-bitterness. And we don't hold ourselves in contempt of the Lord. When we ask him to forgive us, then we follow suit and we forgive ourselves. Otherwise, we're in contempt. The Lord forgives us. 
and many of us don't forgive ourselves. That's very common with us as Christians. It's, it's not abnormal. So as I'm praying, you're not going to say the name out loud, but what will happen is you'll say this person, and you're going to envision Holy Spirit's here right now. He's already got this. He knows who you're talking about. You're going to envision that person. And you're going to envision what they did that hurt you. One thing at a time, because they happen one at a time. I wish we could just do it all. But it doesn't happen that way. So pray this after me. If you guys will stand, if you like, you don't have to, but stand. Thank you, Lord. Say this, Heavenly Father, I choose to forgive this person I'm thinking of right now. I forgive them for what they did to me and to others that they shouldn't have done. I forgive them for what they should have done, but they didn't. I repent of all bitterness towards them. And Lord, I repent of the fear and pain and the rejection that I took on because of those sins. Forgive me, Lord. I receive your forgiveness now. And Lord, because you forgive me, I now forgive myself of the guilt shame, and all the regret concerning these situations. Satan, you have no authority over me any longer in this situation. I command all fear, rejection, abandonment, jealousy, bitterness, and self-bitterness and all occult and self-will. I command these to leave me now along with all unclean spirits. Leave now in Jesus' name. Satan, you have no authority here because I have forgiven, been forgiven, and I've forgiven myself. Holy Spirit, thank you for healing me. Speak to me now and tell me your truth.